Hey friends, Thanksgiving will be here before we know it. It's hard to believe, I know. Now, do you want to have truly a grateful holiday season instead of a grumbly one? Well, I'm so excited about my new resource, The Grumble Free Here. It's available for pre-order now. If you go to thegrumblefreeyear.com, there's links to all the places you can pre-order it. And if you do, right there on that website, thegrumblefreeyear.com, you can sign up to get some free bonuses. And that includes some color sheets that you can print up. I actually use these very scripture sheets to teach my kids scriptures about not grumbling. There's also a gratitude journal that you can use during this holiday season. Now, it's online, so kids, even little kids, can draw their pictures of things that they're grateful for. The fun thing is, with our family, we put it inside of a binder, and then I'm going to, every year, add another set of this journal. So this will be a keepsake for us. We can print them up, write things we're grateful for, write 2019 on it. Next year, we'll have 2020, and over the years, we can look back and see the things that we were grateful for. So I hope you check out those free bonuses at thegrumblefreegear.com. And I know if you want to be grateful instead of grumbling, I know this book is for you too. Why do bad things have to happen to good people? Sometimes the innocent are the victims of those who know better, those who choose to hurt, those who choose to rob. And it's especially hard when it comes to sexual sin. It's such a burden, such a heavy thing to carry around when you're the victim of sexual sin. And it's even harder when we don't know what to do about it. We're supposed to forgive. We're supposed to help people. But also, we are supposed to stand up for the victims. We're supposed to protect them. This is a hard balance that we are having in the church today, trying to figure out what to do, what to say, how to help those who have been sexually abused. Often churches are afraid if it happens within their doors or the word is going to get out and it's going to hurt their ministry and people aren't going to come to their church and the ministry is going to fail. Um, And because we are so worried about the bigger picture church, we forget the victim that is still a victim that is standing there just wanting us to reach out to help and to hope. Now we're going to be talking about all these things with my friend Mary DeMuth today. And this is the first third time that she's been on my podcast because she is an amazing real life friend of mine. We are part of a mastermind group together. So at least twice a month we're on a video call and talking and encouraging each other. And I am so thankful for Mary. I am so thankful that she continues to talk about her past, the pain of her past, and then also reaches out to try to help others. Her voice is genuine. Um, and it is a heavy burden to carry. And I, I want to talk about that before we jump in to this conversation with Mary. Because so many times um, when we find healing, God calls us to reach out and to help other people. And this isn't easy. I remember um, after I attended a post-abortion Bible study and started a Bible study myself working with women, Um, later I um, got in front of the church and shared my story of my past abortion and my past teen pregnancy, and it was after that that our pastor reached out and said he was um, interested in having me help start a crisis pregnancy with him, center with him. Now, I was happy with at home with my kids. I was happy um, with my homeschooling, with my writing, with the things I was doing. I had no desire 
to step out, to get out of my comfort zone, to help other people. Because that's the tough thing. We often don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to offer help. I remember a young woman coming in for a pregnancy test and I'm like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? I need to do something to change her mind and help her and encourage her and provide things. And I just feel so ill-equipped. And so many times when God calls us to step out of our comfort zone, it's to remind us that he is there. He wants to be with us. He wants to encourage us. He wants to um, help us, but he wants us to be there for other people. He wants to be the hands and feet that will reach out to them, that will serve other people with the compassion that we have. Now, Mary is able to talk to people who have um, been abused sexually because she has been there as part of her story, but I am so thankful that she's also stepping forward to talk to the church to tell us that we need to pay attention what to do, what not to do um, for victims, not what to say and what not to say. Because so many times those in the church who have maybe well-meaning hearts end up hurting people even worse. So this is a hard conversation. This is not easy to talk about. I'm just having this one conversation. I know Mary has this conversation over and over again, which I am so proud of her for continuing, even though it's a heavy burden. So I want to encourage you um, to just think about our role as a church as we step forward to help victims of sexual abuse. And her book, I think, is going to help a lot of people know what to do with this conversation when we don't know what to do. So here is my friend, Mary DeMuth. You're listening to Walk It Out with Trisha Goyer, where we discover what it looks like to follow God and be swept away on the journey of a lifetime. Author of over 70 books, mom of 10, yes, 10, homeschooler and speaker, Trisha Goyer will explore what radical obedience to God's word looks like. It's time to hear from God lovers who've dared to say yes. Listen in to Heart to Heart Chats and learn how others overcame doubts and fears. Discover how God used ordinary people to impact others one step at a time. If you're ready to get radical, get going, and make a difference in this world, you're at the right place. Here's your host, prolific writer, world traveler, people lover, and mega nap taker, Trisha Goyer. Well, today in Walk It Out, I'm talking to a guest that is my most returned guest. How would you say that? Mary! You have been here more than anyone else. So my friend Mary DeMuth is here on the podcast today. So welcome, Mary. Thanks for having me. And I, I love being a repeat offender. You are. <laughs> Hopefully I'm not offending well, I love people. Having you. No, no, not at all. Um, I love having you on because the conversation's real and we can just like talk about important stuff that I don't think a lot of people are talking about. In fact, I know a lot of people aren't talking about the hard, hard stuff because it's so much easier to talk about a fun novel we read or this or that. But, you know, I think there's so many things that we don't talk about that we need to. And so today we're going to be talking about your book, um, We Too, How the Church Can Respond Redemptively to the Sexual Abuse Crisis. And I know, I mean, I, I think I heard when you first like had the opportunity to write this and just been praying with you through the book, but just tell kind of like the reason that you wanted to write this and why you felt it's so important. Yeah, I've been talking about this issue for a really long time, even before I was uh, published as a writer. So this has been um, something that's been on my heart a really long time because I've struggled with it. And in my own recovery journey, um, 
there has been sometimes some amazing folks who have walked alongside me and other times there have been kind of some cliches thrown my way. And um, we've seen in the past year or so how the church has not always responded well <laughs> to the sexual abuse crisis. And I happen to be somebody who loves the church. So I wrote this book as a broken person who wanted to see the church do better, but not from a position of hatred toward the church, but actually deep affection and love for the church. Yeah, I think that's such a good place because I love the church too. I'm like, I love being there. I love the community. Not that it's always been easy. In fact, there's been times, seasons in our lives when it's been really hard to be part of the church. But I love that you're coming from that point. It's not like mm -hmm. the church is horrible. We don't need to go to church. Like, But no, we get to see. I mean, and I think like anything, churches mature. Like the church in general matures as we are more aware and we know how to deal with issues and talk about things and often we just don't know but I would love when you talk about um, sexual abuse crisis just go a little bit more into explaining that to someone who might not be familiar like what you mean by that right so we've seen in the past two years uh, the crisis kind of come to top of mind because of the me too movement and so what this means is um, not only it means two things it means the, the great amount of people who have this story. So we've got all of these people out there who are survivors who have been shushed for a really long time and are rising up. The second part of it is that there have been people who have been abused in a church or ministry context. And um, that has been a really painful thing for the church because uh, when you are abused by someone who names the name of Christ or who is a leader in the church, it really messes with your Christianity. It messes with your walk with Christ. It, it often shipwrecks many people's faith. And so this is actually a, an issue of evangelism in a way. It's an issue of the gospel. It's an issue of getting the wolves out that are parading around in sheep's clothing. And, and that should not be. Uh, they should not be there. So we need to do something about it. Yeah. Okay. Let's go back because I want to talk about both of these parts. But I want to talk about the first thing you said, just people who have been sexually abused that might go to the church for help. And often people in the church don't know how to help them, maybe say things that aren't helpful at all that are actually hurtful. Um, and I just know, like, we don't understand, I think, in general, how many people have been sexually abused. And uh, I know you said know the statistics better, but I think, is it one in four? Or is it even more than that happens? Yes, it's, it's, I mean, there are those statistics out there, but um, because people tend to not talk about this and they tend not to report it, I, mm -hmm. I think it's a lot more than that. And I, I would mm -hmm. also say that yeah. if you walk into a church, 100% of the people there have been affected by it somehow. So it may not be yeah. you, but you know somebody who it's affected. And so therefore it affects you because you want to be an empathetic healer. You want to be someone who is, is um, helping. I have a lot of people, you know, that's another reason why I wrote the book. I have a lot of people ask me, well, what can I do? How can I love this person? They're so, you know, they're crying out for help, but I just, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to be, you know, and so that's, right. it's important that we kind of know how to respond and what helps and what doesn't help. Yeah. And so I'm thinking back to the time you came to, our, to speak at our teen mom support group, because I knew that some of the girls in our group had been sexually abused in the past. And as you're speaking, I think during the meeting, I mean, mm -hmm. there's probably 20 girls there, at least three girls ran out crying. Um, and then it ends up every it comes out, you know, during the meeting afterwards, conversations, every single, every single one of our teen moms had been sexually abused. Mm -hmm. Then the leaders are talking afterwards. <laughs> 
everyone in the leaders had been had sexual abuse and i'm like this is and i think part of it is a lot of the young mom teen moms because they've never had a chance to say no mm-hmm. end up just thinking they're a sexual being and they fall into these bad relationships and they end up just teen moms and then leaders out of their past have compassion and are there but it was just so amazing to me like in that moment here is 30 women young old everything in between that are just like this is the first time we've all been able mm-hmm. to talk about it in this support group meeting and that's not common and you know all the church ladies we've been going to church in fact one lady that was there a volunteer said she's never even told her husband and but during that meeting she was able to talk to us about it and she was going to go tell her husband about it but i think we don't realize how many hurting people they are and if we hadn't facilitated you coming like we, i never would have understood the extent of the pain and the struggles that we were having in our very own group. Yeah. And in that case, it was literally 100%. I mean, it was all the people. (laughs) So yeah, it's a huge issue. And I think the reason it's been so quiet for so long has been that the enemy of our souls wants nothing better than for us to keep that silent. And it's one of his greatest weapons against humanity is sexual abuse. And so Um, we will not be healed in the silence. We have to talk about it. We have to get it out. We have to heal in community. And on the top of my website of we2.org, it says we heal better together. And I firmly believe that. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier that people often don't know what to say. So let's just talk about that for a minute. Because we've had people like those teen moms or other people in our lives that have brought this up. And I'm like, uh, I mean, and I've had that in my past too. So, but I don't even know what to say to help them. So let's just talk about just basic, like in general, how we should respond, even if we don't have all the exact words or how we can even know that something that would help not hurt the other person. First, we need to understand that um, false accusations are less than 4%. And so it's mm-hmm. good for us to always err on the side of belief. Um, and so the first thing that we can say to someone that's really powerful is, I believe you. And that may just be enough. Um, But the second thing would be um, keep your mouth shut (laughs) and your ears open and try not to be morbidly interested in the details, but let them kind of lead with any details they want to share. Some will want to share all the details. Some will want to share zero details. And that's okay. Either way is fine. Um, And then uh, I would say to weep alongside. If you feel emotion coming up, don't try to stuff it down. The scripture says in Romans 12 that we're supposed to weep alongside those who weep. And um, I've had some of the most healing experiences of my life from people that just cried when they heard the story. And that helped me. I don't, I can't even quantify how, but it did. Yeah. Cause you know that kind of like, cause it's the hurt that you're carrying inside. I think sometimes you you don't give yourself permission to cry but when someone else is there beside you and they're weeping or they're saying I'm so sorry I'm so sorry you had experienced that it's just like okay I have you're giving yourself permission because someone else is giving you permission to and they're hurting with you and just like sharing that a little bit I think really helps and it bonds people and I think um like we want to fix it but (laughs) it's not something you can just like fix but really just having that compassion like you said and letting people know that you care and that you believe them is such a beautiful, wonderful thing. Yes. And if they're amenable to it, you can offer to pray. Some people who have been abused in a church situation 
are so traumatized by that, that even praying for them is traumatizing because maybe their perpetrator did the exact same thing. So we just need to let them lead and um, dignify them enough to let them um, say, to to really honor their no uh, and to be delicate and tender in those kinds of situations. Yeah. So let's talk about abuse in the church. Um, which you've mentioned is was the second part of this. And I think so many times, I mean, we do see the headlines where there's pastors and then there's all this abuse and it comes forward. But I think more often it's not, mm-hmm. it's not out there. I mean, we even heard like we've had two occasions where our kids have been involved in Christian camps where we found out later that a leader at the camp has done something appropriate with one of the campers and like the, the our church has come to us and like, can you check with your kids and see if like this involved them and all this stuff. And it's like, but it's not like it ever made mm-hmm. the news. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, so, I mean, it, but it's really impacting people. So talk, just tell in general, like abuse in the church. And then, um, you know, what do we do if it's like, if someone comes and says, well, this is happening and you don't know what to do. Right. About it. So um, it's important to understand the nature of criminology and crime first. Uh, if the person is a minor that discloses that to you and the person that abused them is uh, over the age of that, um, it is as a Christ follower, I believe every Christ follower is a mandatory reporter. So you have to report that to authorities. Yeah. Um, and that's that's um, the most important thing that the studies have been that if a child makes an outcry, they will have a much better job of uh, healing from their abuse if the parent says, I believe you and they take action with law enforcement. And so, um, of course, that has to be in the mix. Now, in terms of um, the church and sexual abuse, what's happened is that a lot of times, and I think this is changing and I'm grateful for it, but a lot of times leaders will default to um, running around uh, with reputation protection and they'll even hire PR firms and they're not thinking Mm -hmm. straight. They're not thinking about what would Jesus do? They're just thinking about, I'm going to protect my structure here. And that is very painful for uh, obviously for abuse survivors. And there's, there's kind of a funny little narrative that keep, I keep seeing it repeated over and over again. Someone uh, brings an accusation to a church uh, group of leaders and the leaders don't believe them. And so they try again and they try again. And so finally they, they're exasperated and, and they are fearful for other people to be hurt. So they go to the media. The media reports it. The church leaders say that person is a spawn of Satan and they're trying to ruin the church. And then there's, because it's in the media, several more people will come forward and say, oh yeah, that happened to me by the same person. And then suddenly the church leaders have to scramble and uh, create some sort of hasty apology, fire the guy, and then they end up leaving. And this has happened. This is not just one thing I'm talking about. This has happened in several different churches. And then you've got these people who have whistleblown uh, completely and utterly devastated. And I would argue that that's the opposite of the way things should go. We should err on the side of belief. There should be an independent investigation of what went on. And, um, and, and just, uh, yeah, to continue to, to believe those who bring uh, credible allegations. Yeah. And I think one of the things is like churches are often like, they're not trained in this. <laughs> it's not like they're law right. enforcement and they're trying to solve problems, but you do just like report it, like report it and let the law, because of course, if you approach someone, you know, mm-hmm. the Bible talks about going hey, and talk to someone. You, did you meet <laughs> that person? No. <laughs> yeah, not I mean, they it. don't know how to handle it yet. They don't know. And, and then they're trying to even cover it up. And then, I mean, and 
just let the people that are trained to handle the situation. And, and we've had, I've had to report before. Mm-hmm. I've had to report a couple of times. Like when this comes up, when I hear about this, it's like, you have to report it. And then it is, it's like, you can let the people who know how to deal with it, deal with it without having to muddy the waters. And you can still be there to pray for mm-hmm. people and be there and support people. But we need to not like try to, go directly i mean this is just one thing where we don't go directly and try to like talk to the person and get their side of the story and stuff um i I think that just messes it up like you're saying it just messes it up and of course people are gonna lie well and this is not a matthew 18 situation this is a crime and so um if if there was a mugging right outside in front of your church you wouldn't like bring the mug if you caught the mugger you wouldn't be like okay well let's talk about this did you really mug him um no you would call the police immediately and the the police would would come and haul the person off and there would be an investigation and there would be a trial probably and they would probably be going to jail but for whatever reason when it involves sexual abuse we lose our minds and we think we think it's a sin but not a crime but it actually is a crime yeah absolutely and i think going back and we hear this all the time it's usually people you trust and people yep. you don't expect <laughs> so and yes again, sadly yes people that i've had to report um and that have gone to prison are people I trusted and wouldn't have expected but when it comes to it I had to report it. like it but I think that is the hard part too because it is the part of these are often people we we like respect and we know and like we wouldn't let them into these situations with other people if we knew that they were a bad person so it is part of the shock and awe and like trying to figure out what what are what is going on but again we're just going to say this one time, let the authorities deal mm-hmm. with that. Um, so one thing you talk about is bad theology. Um, so what is some of the bad theology? And I think we mentioned this is not a Matthew is Matthew 18 situation here. I right. think that's part of the bad theology. Is there other areas that we're really having bad theology when it comes to this um, sexual abuse in the church? Yes, I think um, not... Uh, not talking about justice issues is important. And I'm not talking about a social justice gospel. That's a two, those are two different things. I'm talking Mm -hmm. about, um, you know, obeying the laws of the land and letting the laws of the land have their natural consequence. And, and I think somehow we think if we allow the laws of the land to come in, it's going to muddy the church. There's some sort of marriage between church and state, but actually, no, I mean, we're commanded to obey the laws of our land. And so that helps. Mm -hmm. Um, also, uh, we don't understand the nature of evil very well, and we don't do a very good job of articulating that. Um, evil is not uh, necessarily obvious or overt. And um, in the Predator chapter, I talk about just what you said, is that they're typically people we would never think would be perpetrators. And so we tend to err on the side of grace for perpetrators and on the side of judgment for victims, which seems really strange to me. But we have this strong narrative of grace and we're like, well, if he said he's sorry, then he's sorry and we have to offer grace and that's the gospel. And I would argue that, of course, that's the gospel, but did that person really repent? And um, I think about, you know, predators who want to return to churches. In my mind, that means they haven't repented because if they're sexual predators of little kids, they will not, and they have repented, they will not want to go into a setting where they're going to be tempted again. And what better setting to be tempted but a church with a bunch of kids? So, um, you know, we just have to be more wise when it comes to the cunningness and the ability of a predator to pull the wool over many people's eyes. 
Yeah. Okay. So we're talking about sexual abuse, you know, physical sexual abuse, but you men, you talk about porn. And so mm-hmm. I'm just, we have a situation where one of my kids mentioned that they saw porn at church with the children's worker. Oh no. And oh God. The church handled it very well. But it was like, what in the world is going on here that someone would do that at church? And of course, the person denied it, but the church, the church did handle it well. But I think this is something, you know, everyone has phones with internet, with streaming, with this. And I think so many times sexual abuse isn't just um, the physical sexual abuse. This is sexuality that sometimes is brought into the church that is not not should be there so talk about just the porn and we see this the problem so big in christianity today. yeah we've i mean the statistics about pastors addicted to porn is enough to make you sick so i mean it's it's a pervasive problem and how it influences sexual abuse is that when you see these kinds of dehumanizing images particularly of one person saying no and one person overpowering the other, you begin to believe that that's normative. And so therefore in your real life, if someone says no to you and you keep going because you think they actually want to say yes, then you suddenly have just committed a crime. And so we have been inundated with a extremely warped view of sex because of porn. And, um, we don't have a biblical ethic of, of sexuality anymore. It's been corrupted by pornography and we need to begin to have sex education with our kids in our homes early because of this issue. And I also think it has to do with money. Um, why is there porn? Well, it makes a lot of money and the fact that it's there means there's a demand for it. This is an economic issue. Why is there sex trafficking? because there's a demand for it and it keeps going on because it also Mm -hmm. gives some people a lot of money. Of course, it exploits all the other people involved. Um, And this, again, is another way in which we are just broken as a church. Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, I, and again, this is not a topic everyone's talking about. Like we should be, (laughs) we should be having more conversations about this (laughs) because it really is. We are looking for satisfaction in places other than Christ. And that is one of the ways people are looking for satisfaction in other than Christ. And it is, it's a spiritual issue, but it's also an addiction. There's so many layers that I think the church needs to be involved in addressing that sometimes it's easier just to talk about the good shepherd or whatever, whatever scripture we're talking about Sunday without talking about the stuff that people are really dealing with on ongoing basis. Well, and this is an issue with men and women. Um, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not a man issue. This is a humanity issue. And there's a, quite a few percentage of women who are addicted to porn too. So this is not just me you know, pointing the finger at one side. It's, it's all of us who have this, um, you know, not all of us have the issue, but many on both sides have this issue. Yeah. So we've been talking a lot about kind of the church's responses and often they're not good responses, Mm -hmm. but what can churches do to be proactive, um, to be a light in the situation, to help people instead of like just trying to deal with the fallout? Is there things that the churches can do? Yes, it can absolutely be proactive. They can create child safety policies and not just pull them from some website somewhere, but to actually sit down with their staff and create them 
uh, netgrace.org, which is Bosch Chavijan's organization, will help churches create those kinds of policies. There's a child um, safety protection guide that he wrote. And um, so that's another really great way also to have policies and procedures in place so that that becomes the bad guy when something weird happens, something hard happens. So you can say, well, okay, we've got this credible allegation from someone and this is the policy we go through. And it's, then it's not, you're not in panic mode reacting to a situation. You're just saying, okay, here's what we've decided to do proactively beforehand. The first call is to the police. The second is we're going to call a meeting of the congregation and say, this happened on our watch. We're so sorry. We repent and we wish it didn't happen. But this, to be honest, to have that honest transparency and then, you know, whatever it is that they decide to do from that point on. I know of a church in Houston that he um, had that church meeting and he also, that church decided they would pay for the person's um, counseling indefinitely. And they also called a press conference and they said to the press, this happened on our watch. We're deeply grieved. Uh, we handed him over to the authorities, but we want to get ahead of this and say, this is what happened instead of hiding it such a redemptive way to deal with something. Mm -hmm. We have to remember that there is an inevitability that there are predators in our churches, whether they're in leadership or just lay people, because it's such, it represents the world, you know, and there are predators in the world, but also it represents a place where people convey trust and grace very easily. And we can be easily deceived by people who have charismatic personalities. Right. And I think, when it comes to trust if you there's two churches and one of them tries to hide it tries to cover it up doesn't do the things mm -hmm. and it comes out and there's another church that as soon as it happens calls authorities gets it under control calls the press calls the church together calls mm -hmm. the press who which church are you going to trust more like you're going to trust someone that took care of it so you know like they're going to have precautions or you know things in place where w w there is a safety and you can trust them and they're going to do the right thing and that's who you're going to trust and even though it's a harder thing um it's the right thing and that's what we need to be doing instead of you know trying to talk to the person and go around and all that stuff that happens well yeah i would much rather go to if i looked at those two churches um and, and i was in a you know community and i had two choose churches to choose from i would always choose the honest one over the dishonest one obviously because i would mm -hmm. think to myself yeah. what else are they hiding and why are they so secretive it just means there's more sin going on you know in terms of cover up and and why are they so interested in my money? Why are they more, you know, in their mm -hmm. reputation? Because I mean, it does kind of boil down to money too. So yeah, I'll trust the one that's transparent. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we talked a little bit about grace. And th that's sometimes hard. Like we, we want to be people of grace. I mean, God has given us grace, but these are crimes. Like, <laughs> so they have to pay, like, so we talked about grace. But what about forgiveness? Because I think that is hard too, when we see people um, and the abusers. And how does the forgiveness thing work? I know it's a complicated thing, but how should it work in the church? Right. So I've, I've heard of situations, and this is not isolated. It's happened a lot where a pastor will think, oh, this is a reconciliation event. So I'm going to bring in the abuser who's very mm. sadly apologetic, you know, and crying and, and has made a very good show of his repentance. And I'm going to bring in the victim. I'm going to bring him into my office, and I'm going to have the poor perpetrator repent again. And then I'm going to demand of the survivor that they need to forgive right now. And that is a really big misunderstanding of the process of forgiveness. First of all, mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit leads us toward forgiveness. 
and we should not demand of another person. Um, we should not impose our timeline of forgiveness on another who has been traumatized. Um, right. I do believe that we have to work through that, but that's the spirit's job to guide us in that. And we also have to remember it's a layered journey. So I might have chosen yeah. to forgive my you know, sexual abusers on February 25th, uh, 1987. I might have made that choice then, but that doesn't mean that I don't struggle in the future. I used to think that if I had like a flashback or I was sad again about it, it negated my first choice of forgiveness. Like, oh, I must not have forgiven them because I'm still sad. Mm -hmm. No, it, it means that forgiveness is this journey and I have simply another layer to forgive as God peels it away. And so we have to have a more robust understanding of the longevity of the forgiveness journey. Yeah. And I think you talk about the layers to that. And I think we do need to do it in layers and God is gracious and like, it's too much to handle at one time. You know? yeah. So it is, it takes time and it takes healing. And it's also you choosing to forgive instead of someone else demanding that you forgive. I mean, that that's just hurtful. You know, someone else who hasn't been hurt in this way will demand of that of you. Um, that is so hard. Yes, I would agree. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then talk about um, next, the healing journey. So what, after we've seen this happen and maybe even the churches handle it the right way, what can the healing journey look like in a healthy way in a church? Right. So if you look at children who have been abused um, and they, you know, look at their healing journeys, the, the two factors that help them heal is that their parents believe them and their parent went to the police. And so it's the same for churches. The church chooses to believe and they go into the authorities if it is a reported reportable crime. Um, beyond that, it would be, it would look a lot like um, offering help to that person through prayer, through counsel, through um, resources. And, and in terms of me walking my own healing journey, there is that aspect of longing to be whole. And um, a lot of us, we think, oh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be narcissistic and heal. You know, it's all about me. I've got to heal. But um, it's our families that need us to be whole. And so if we can't heal for yeah, ourselves, yeah. we need to heal for our kids, our husbands, our friends, because they need us to be healed. And um, frankly, you know, the reason I have been on this journey for so long and relentlessly pursuing it is because I love my family and I want to be better for them. And it's the gift that I'm giving them so that I could be the kind of mom that was involved in their kids' lives and a kind of mom who was empathetic and kind and helpful and represented Jesus to my children. And so um, it is a relentless pursuit. It is tiring and it, and it can be very, very frustrating, especially when other Christians throw Christian platitudes your way about, you should just be over it by now. That was 30 mm -hmm. years ago. Just get over it. And what were you wearing? And just all sorts of frustrating things that people say out of ignorance that throw us back for a loop. That is so hard. And yeah, that is so hard when they're, they don't, they don't say the right things and it just hurts us deeper. And it is something that... Um, that I, I love how you're talking about you were doing this for your family, but Mary, you've also stepped out and you are helping so many people. I mean, I've turned to you when I, <laughs> people I know have needed help and that is a, a heavy burden too. So I want to thank you for that too. Um, Cause I know you hear the hard stories. You, I mean, you know, when something happens, who do people turn to? They turn to Mary, <laughs> which is a big burden to carry. And I thank you for writing this book, for talking about it, for opening the conversation. I, you know, I just hope that it will be, 
used by churches to just like make people aware. In fact, I'm going to be taking this. Um, we're going to have dinner with our one of our pastors tonight. I'm going to take and hand the book and say, okay, we need to make sure that we know what we need to be doing as a church. And like so far, like I said, our church has handled things wonderfully in the, with the things that I know have happened. Um, but we can always work harder and be more proactive and and be um, just there for the victims to help them because because sadly these things will continue to happen. And it's our job as as shepherds of God's church to protect our flock and um, to love those that God has given us. And um, what better way than to be sure that you have these policies in place and that you've got a, a proactive way forward. I mean, that's just loving your flock. Um, that's my hope for the church is that they will begin to find the wolves, uh, expel those wolves and um, love the broken ones left behind. And that's what Jesus did when he walked this earth. That's what he's done in my life. And um, I think we've, we've yeah. forgotten, we've forgotten what is the work of the church. You know, it's the work of the church is to make disciples of all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he's going to be with us to the very end of the age. Well, what does it look like to make a disciple? Part of that is being long-suffering with people through their very long journeys of healing. And if we could just be that kind of discipler, um, I think we could see the landscape of the kingdom of God changed forever. Yeah, that is so beautiful to know that even if it is a long journey, which this is a long journey that you're going to have someone walking with you, multiple people mm-hmm. walking with you and mm-hmm. loving with you, loving you along the way. I mean, that will, when we see that, when people experience that, when they tell others about that, it's going to, it's going to change a lot of people and, and heal a lot of hearts. That's my hope. Yeah. Well, Mary, before we go, I just would love, um, maybe there's someone that's listening that has faced sexual abuse that, maybe hasn't told someone or has been hurt by the church or they don't know what to do. What, um, just speaking directly to that person, what would you have to say? I would say, I see you. I hear you. I believe you. I'm so sorry that that happened to you. There is a healing journey. It will get better. The light will come. Let your story out into the light of day. And then I would also encourage people who are in that healing journey. I have a um, something on we2.org forward slash 21 days. It's a 21 day email sequence of some of the best practices and things I've learned along the way of healing. And so if, if you're struggling with that or you have a friend that is, um, check that out and that might be helpful as well. That will be wonderful. And we'll make sure and put the links to all that um, in the show notes. But again, um, can you give the website just one more time? Yeah. So the website is we2.org. Awesome. Mary, I just appreciate you. I just love you as a friend. I love your Mm -hmm. heart. I just know, um, I'm just so proud of you for, for (laughs) speaking out, for helping to carry burdens. And and I know that it gets tiring and I know it gets weary. Um, but just know friend that you are loved. Thank you. It's been, it's been such a beautiful ride and, and a pleasure. Yes, there have been hard times, but Uh, The joy of seeing other people set free has been my fuel. Well, thank you. Thanks. It's been my pleasure. I am so thankful for my friend, Mary DeMuth. I'm thankful for her voice. I think I'm thankful that she steps out of her comfort zone and really reaches out to help those who are victimized and also helps those who want to help others, who want to love and show compassion. Now, um, in her book, We Too, one of the quotes 
that I really think we need to just dwell on a minute before we move on is she says the church acts most like Jesus when it protects the victimized. We should be known as builders of protective walls. Sadly, we have built walls, but those walls have protected the institution of the church out of fear. No more. Please, no more. The grand narratives of scripture is the story of a rebellious people who harm each other while their powerful triune God risked everything to reconcile them to herself. And then she shares this scripture, which is going to be our walk it out verse of the week. It's 2 Corinthians 5, 19 through 21. It says, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, Come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made with right with God through Christ. And then Mary says, we are his ambassadors, beckoning a broken world to the broken one. As the body of Christ, we represent Jesus on this earth. It may seem simplistic to ask the same old question, what would Jesus do? But that is the kind of simplicity on which revivals are built. How would Jesus treat a sexual abuse survivor? If Jesus discovered a pastor in a church who abused children, how would he react? Would Jesus care more for the reputation of a local church or a bleeding stranger in front of him? So again, that scripture, just remember, I love what, what Mary said. We are his ambassadors beckoning a broken world to the broken one. Jesus is the broken one. He has been abused and he has compassion. And we just need to take the broken ones in our lives to him. So let's pray. Dear God, I am so thankful that as hard as it is, you called us to be these disciples and ambassadors of reconciliation, that we can be the one to call to people and say, come to God, come to him. He can be the one. We cannot heal people's wounds. We cannot heal those places in their hearts that are hurting and are wounded, but we can lead them to God. We can open our arms. We can believe them. We can love them. We can support them. We can build walls of protection around um, those have, who have been abused, and we can seek you when we don't know what to do. I'm so thankful, God, that we can always seek you, that we don't have to do public relations for you. Instead, we can um, we can just let the, let the church hold up its own reputation, but again, save those who are hurting. So I pray, God, that you will help my friend today. Maybe if they have a story to share, I pray they would have just the um, boldness to share it with someone who is safe, Lord. And I pray if we receive news, that if we hear about someone who is being abused, that we will be the one to step forward and build a wall. Thank you, God, for Mary. Continue to bless her and help her. I know it is weary as she continues to speak the truth. Then just bless her today. Well, friend, I am so thankful that you have been here on Walk It Out. I am so thankful that you listen in, that you sometimes you know, know that these are hard conversations. This is not easy things. These are not fun things to t- talk about. But the fact that you listened and that you're more knowledgeable, that you have a desire to help those and protect those really makes a big difference. Again, Mary's book is We Too, How the Church Can Respond Redemptively to the Sexual Abuse Crisis. 
Well, friends, I am so thankful that you are here. Now, I would love for you to connect with me online. Um, you can always connect with me on my Facebook page, which is just author Trisha Goyer. Or on Instagram, I'm Trisha Goyer. Um, all the places you can connect with me. If you want to shoot me an email, I would love it. It's just hello at trishagoyer.com. Again, if you have um, maybe someone that you think I should interview, a story to share, shoot me a note. I would love to hear from you. And thank you, friends, so much for tuning in. I pray that you will be blessed. Thanks for listening to Walk It Out. Head over to the show notes for this podcast and all past episodes at www.walkitoutpodcast.com. If you love the show, share it with someone you know who can make a radical difference in the world. We love new friends. See you next time.